Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone. Welcome along to Seeds Podcast. This is Stephen Mo speaking, and I'm really glad you could join me as we're going to get the chance to speak with Joy Reid. Now, Joy is the co-founder of From One Mother to Another, so I had a great time learning all about that initiative, but I also learned about her life, and in particular, what it's like to be a journalist on radio and the television. We also covered a bunch of other topics as well. The aim of Seed's podcast is every week to try to surprise the listener with how different the person is from the week before, and yet what unites every voice is the sense of purpose and the impact that these people are having with their lives. If you enjoy this episode, then you might want to share it with somebody else and check out the almost 300 other interviews in the back catalog. And a big shout out to the Christchurch Foundation, who were hosting an event where I first heard about Joy and the work that she's doing. There's heaps of ways to connect on social media as well, and mainly I'm using LinkedIn. I also really appreciate all of you who are willing to tell a friend about the show. Now let's get straight into the interview with Joy. All right, so it's a real pleasure to welcome Joy Reed, who's the co-founder and chief executive of From One Mother to Another. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. And I have to say, I actually feel like I know you already, because it turns out that Martha Hellyer, who's a good friend of our families, is one of your good friends. Yes, and she's one of our key volunteers with One Mother to Another as well. So she's got a lot to do with the story. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, what we're going to do is talk about this initiative and what you're doing. And I'd really like to unpack kind of the origins of it and then what it's actually doing and then some of the impacts that you're seeing that would be amazing but before we do that I love to find out about guests backgrounds so if we could go back in a time machine and tell us a little bit about what life was like for you when you were say four or five years old and um, well I grew up in Tamaki Makoto Auckland um, and had a very happy childhood I am the eldest of four children I've got three younger brothers so I was destined from birth really to be bossy um, and I guess four or five. Well, my mother said that on my five-year-old school report, I was listed as verbally mature, which I think just means an absolute chatterbox. And <laughs> so at four or five, I was a chatterbox and nothing much has really changed. Uh, my mother is a doctor and was working part-time. Um, and I think that's also been really key to probably instilling some values in me about sort of female empowerment and, and education and the importance of of following your dreams and doing what you can. And it was always modelled to me that, um, you know, women can have careers and can be mothers as well. Um, And so, yeah, I had a a really wonderful time growing up in Auckland and lived there until I moved to university. Well, actually, no, until I went and did a school exchange when I was 16 and lived in Germany for a year. Wow. So three younger brothers. Yes. What's that dynamic like then? Because you're... You know, do you become almost like another mother to them, or, it is, or what's definitely it like? the mother side of things? Okay. And um, <laughs> in fact, my youngest brother is well. One of my brothers has just turned thirty or turning thirty this week, and my husband keeps telling me off for still mothering him. And so I don't think I'll ever stop. But yeah, I, I'm really lucky with with my brothers. Um, they're they're fabulous. We had quite a big age gap. My youngest brother's nine years younger than me, mm-hmm. and so I've always had that kind of nurturing mother role mm-hmm. in their worlds. Um, and they've now got fabulous wives too. So I feel like I've finally got some sisters in our family. And yeah, unfortunately, I have for their sake been the bossy one. I guess 
practicing my leadership skills from a very young age. Right. Say. <laughs> yeah. Well, you kind of probably have to stand up for yourself as well in that environment, right? With, well, they're now all siblings. taller than me, and you know. Yeah. But no, I, I still, I think. Yeah, but you'll always be the oldest child, I guess. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh, that's great. And your mother, you mentioned her. Um, yeah, tell us a bit more about her and some of the, what had her been, life been like, like that led her to that career and then that decision to kind of juggle family and work? I guess if you go back really far, my grandparents really valued education because my grandfather was incredibly intelligent but um, grew up in a time where his family couldn't afford education. He went to school till he was 12 and would have loved to have continued school but of course with the wars and that sort of thing. So he made a really conscious decision that all of his children were going to go and get a a full education. So he sent them, uh, my mother went to Rangiruru um, and he he really prioritised their education and I think that really was a flow-on effect for the rest of our generations um, and my mum was exceptionally intelligent and, and she got ducks that year and she went on to medicine and she was always interested in medicine um, and she's had a very full career in that but also recognising she went did general practitioner so she could kind of it's probably a little bit easier to have a family with that and so she worked I think just one day a week when we were growing up but now I mean, she's 65 now and works four days a week still. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> she loves it. Um, yeah, and I think that's been really cool for me to, to see that you can love a career and you can be a mum. Like, they are two things that do go hand in hand because it's been quite key for me and my life choices as we've grown older. Mm. Yeah, the role of a GP is really an interesting one, isn't it? Because you're meeting people all the time and, you know, they're coming to you in a crisis sometimes with health or something like that. Um, but it, yeah, I guess you'd learn a lot of good interpersonal skills as well. Yeah, she's definitely a people person. Um, and also I think as well, a GP, you get to see and follow people grow up. You get to see do their three-week-old, four-week-old baby checks. Mm. And, you know, she loves it when, when the babies come in for their little checks and things, and then you see them grow up. So yeah, she's been involved in a lot of people's lives for, for many years. Um, and I think that empathy and and care that she has for her patients is probably something she's instilled in us as values to you know of caring for others and and you know probably subconsciously is has led to a little bit of one mother to another's journey as well Mm, that's great well maybe we'll come back to that in a few minutes so growing up then you know think of primary school sort of years what sort of things were you interested in did you enjoy the outdoors or reading or was there a variety of things Everything. Yeah. I was that kid that was playing every sport. Loved cricket, netball, um, you know, gymnastics. I, I played the flute. I played the bassoon. I was in the recorder orchestra. And now, as I juggle my kids' extracurricular activities, I can't for a second imagine how mum juggled all of ours. But we were just encouraged if we liked something to give it a go. Um, and I was really sporty. I played hockey quite competitively. Um, yeah, and I loved my music and yeah, anything that was possible. I, we did brownies or what was it called? Rally. It I think girls, and, girls no. rally. I think okay. I did, you know, all we just did so many things <laughs> in life and just whatever was on offer we did. Mm. Um, and 
yeah, I, I loved my childhood and, and my teenage years for that reason. And I think because I'm such a people person too, I was always had friends around and our home was always a very much an open home. Bring whoever you like back. You know, mum always wanted everyone to feel, or, and dad wanted everyone to feel welcome. So, mm. yeah, we've had a lot of people in our world because of that. That's great. It's a great culture to instill, I think, in a household or in a home to just like, yeah, bring your friends over rather than kind of sending the kids out to do things it's it's something that we're trying to do in our family actually is to say you know have your friends come around and and be together here you know like rather than feeling like you're not welcome or something like that yeah absolutely and that's what we're trying to do in our family too because it worked so well for me growing up yeah that's awesome and then you mentioned an exchange what was that so i did an afs exchange which is um afs is an organization um that facilitates school exchanges so i went i was getting probably a little bit naughty in my teenage years and a little bit um needed a challenge i think probably and Mm -hmm. i think if i'd stayed in new zealand for that year i was 16 i might have got into a bit of trouble but i think i was probably getting a bit bored and um anyway i wanted to do a school exchange to germany and um yeah, I did. I So I left. My, I don't know how my parents did it now. When I think about it, they waving goodbye for a year to their 15-year-old wow. heading across the so other side of the world. So you were 15 when you left? Uh, 15 you? when I left and, yeah. and turned 16 when I got there. Gosh. But it was probably the making of me, really, because I just loved it. It was my first experience in a different culture, learning a new language, and just the, the personal growth that you do in that. Yeah. And um, I love travel. Um, and so just getting a bit of a taste of that. And again, it, that's been probably quite key to some of the decisions we've made later in life. Mm. Um, and then I came back from that just a lot more grown up and probably a little bit more self-aware of my own decisions have consequences and let's be responsible for them rather than let's make a decision to annoy mum and dad's rules or those sorts of things. Yeah. <laughs> so. Do you remember like as you were getting on the plane mm. or as you're flying mm. or as you're landing or something, was there a moment when you kind of had a self-realization that I'm actually doing this or or was it just a gradual thing that was the whole no, thing was exciting? I, I honestly, I look back now and I think I just didn't understand the bigness of it. And I wonder if that was just a teenage brain mm. that doesn't think of the consequences perhaps. But I remember being sad when I left on the plane, but the second I got on, clicked my seatbelt on, woohoo, what an adventure, off we go. <laughs> and I guess you don't really know what you're heading into. And that was before the age of the internet and, and those sorts of things. So I knew about Germany from a Lonely Planet travel guide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it was just, it was amazing. And I, I think there's probably a lot of naivety that led me to the passion to go and do that. But I'm pleased I didn't overthink it because I think if I did, I probably would never have gone. Right. But it was just the most fabulous experience um, and I actually was able to come back and I um, the deal I made with my parents is if I left and did that, that I had to come back and finish high school and do seventh form, which is what, year 13. Mm-hmm. So um, I got to skip my sixth form year and do that in Germany and then came back and did seventh form. Um, and, you know, I kept my end of the deal. Reflecting back, what would you say was the key lesson or lessons that you learned in that year away? What is it? Because it sounded like it was really a transformational moment of going off and being independent and doing this. Yeah, what what were the key takeaways reflecting back? I think, to be honest, I probably learned a lot about decision-making because there was no one there really to keep me accountable and constantly tell me what to do. I had a lot of freedoms given to me and the family I lived with and mm-hmm. just about respecting those freedoms and those freedoms will disappear if you like 
I don't know, don't respect them. And so I think I learned a lot about my choices and why I'm doing what I'm doing and, and those sorts of things and, and a lot about independence and, and self-management. Um, and it's all ironically probably what led me into a career in journalism because that's my other hat that I wear. Um, I'm currently on maternity leave. I've got about three weeks or four weeks left before I go back um, to a career in journalism. Um, I've been working in journalism for almost 20 years now and I used to write letters by hand home to my grandparents ah. and that is I used to write them every couple of weeks telling them exactly what was happening and I loved it like it was a way of keeping a diary for me and my grandparents you know obviously liked reading them and she wrote back and said you need to be a journalist because you feel I feel like you're taking me on the journey with you and up until that point I had never thought about a career in journalism I had hmm. um, thought about possibly medicine like mum but I don't have the stomach <laughs> to cope with some of the things that medicine involves. Um, so I was in a bit of a, I don't know what I'm going to do with life type scenario. And it was Grand and Granddad who said, you should try journalism. And at that point I thought, oh, I've got nothing else to try. Why not do that? And that's led to, you know, a really fun, fulfilling career. But it was only because I was writing those letters home in Germany. So you never know what what's going to, you know, what A is going to equal, you know, A plus B equals C, for example. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, one of the initiatives that this podcast has led to is I'm mm. working with some academic researchers at Canterbury University, because they've said that these interviews are actually like fertile ground for them. To, yeah. Because I start in early childhood, and sure. then work through what you're doing today. And one of the things so we've transcribed like 100 interviews. Wow. And this is the key bits. What are the bits in the early years that lead to what a person does? Oh, wow. So I always love to hear these yeah, stories. Yeah, sure. Because that, you know, like the decision at 15 to go and do something, yeah. then, you know, the road opens up in mm -hmm. that direction. Mm -hmm. But I also love about that story as well, just thinking about generations yeah. and the roles that like a grandparent can play with a grandchild. Yeah. And I think it's one of the things that we're missing these days yeah. in terms of it's very much Western individuality and, mm -hmm. and I choose this or that. And, and almost we feel like we can't speak into other mm. people's lives. But actually, you know, for your grandparents, they had a profound effect by identifying a skill and, and calling you out to the potential of it. And she certainly didn't labor the point. I think she only probably said it once. Right. But it was the one... A moment, seed, huh? <laughs> seed, yeah, exactly the yeah. seed that flourished, and I mean she's no longer with us, but you know to still be doing something twenty years on, you know it's quite a unique yeah. seed that she planted. Yeah, that's awesome. So you get to the end of high school. Did you yeah. know at that point journalism is for me, or yeah, what was? The I next thought I'd steps? give it a go because I didn't have anything else. Um, so I went to the New Zealand Broadcasting School, which was down here in Christchurch, um, and did a degree and broadcast journalism majoring sorry broadcast communications majoring in journalism and I really enjoyed it and because I was enjoying it and enjoying the learning I just sort of kept walking through the doors that kept opening mm. um, so that was done here in Christchurch um, and I met my husband <laughs> at broadcasting school as well and made you know some of my best friends for life and um, from there walked into a job or an internship with Newstalk ZB in Hamilton and then from there it opened a job into Radio New Zealand in Auckland and then from there TVNZ Christchurch. Like it's just one... Things have led to other Yeah, things. it's just sort of yeah. happened. Yeah, and what do you learn in like broadcasting school? What, what are the things that you're being taught? 
Well, it's a range, and I don't know if it's quite the same now. Um, but you know, you learn the history of broadcasting because that's a huge part of um, you know New Zealand and the role of broadcasting. You learn about the the ethics that you need. You learn about the legal side of things that cover um, broadcasting, you, and then you learn about writing and what makes a good radio story versus a good TV story versus how to communicate and, and what's facts and what's good question lines. And, and to be honest, I say a lot of the time, journalism is a lot of common sense. So the best journalists are probably just naturally inquisitive, nosy parkers that have been a pain in the butt since childhood. Right. But that's the skill that they've had and they've honed it in their natural daily life. And so you can very quickly identify that. And then it's just a, a, about channeling that into a way of how do you turn your inquisitive nature and inquiring mind into creating stories and learning about balance and who the key community people are to kind of do that. And the, the course was very practical as well. So we had our own radio um, station where we would write news bulletins for, for for part of the year and the same thing with the television stream. And yeah. um, so there was theory and practical, which worked really well. Yeah. Yeah. You use the word inquisitive. I mm. use on this podcast, I use the word curious a lot, mm-hmm. which is kind of a similar essence you know and sometimes i'll lead with my questions will, will be something like i'm just curious but da, 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 you know and the reason i'm doing that is i'm trying to model the the principle that if we're curious that will unlock new understandings and in a way it's very similar to what you're saying like it's that curiosity it's that inquisitiveness that then leads you to understand something new yes absolutely and you know there are people that are just naturally really and I feel like my children are in that category. Um, you know, there's just some people that just, why, why, what happens there? And then, and then what happened? And why did this, you know? And instead of shutting it down and being like, stop asking questions like you sometimes want to do, you're actually realising their brain are just forming new pathways. And it's a really great skill to to have. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. So being in the media, um, did it end up being um, more radio you were doing or TV or it's been a bit of both or... Yeah, how's that? So I did four and a half years in radio, so across both commercial and public broadcasting, and, and News Talk ZB as well as Radio New Zealand. Mm-hmm. I love radio. Mm-hmm. I really do. It was my first love, and it was where I really honed the skills of journalism, storytelling. You know, there is an art to getting people to tell their stories and, and listening and, and follow-up questions, and um, I really loved that. And then I um, was offered a job at Television New Zealand down here in Christchurch in twenty. 2009, so just before the earthquakes. Oh, okay. And so my husband and I moved down here. Um, and then, again, I just I love the television medium in the sense that it's it's everything about story, storytelling with pictures. Mm. So it's like a whole nother level um, and far more teamwork involved. Um, so, yeah, I, again, I just fell in love with that medium and mm. I'm still there. Yeah, <laughs> a few <awesome>. babies later. <laughs> yeah, I, I love, I, obviously, with the podcast, like this will be about episode 288 or so. Wow. So I've done a lot of stories with people, you know. And, but I love the just the pure form of audio. Yeah. Um, and the fact that there's probably somebody listening, they're mowing the lawn or they're yeah. cooking or they're driving or whatever. And somehow the essence of our conversation and the way that we express ourselves can be captured in a way that if it, if we write this down, you transcribe it, it just doesn't have the same feeling as capturing a voice. 
And for me, it was highlighted because I interviewed my grandmother before she wow. passed away. So she was about 92 at that time. And just I have a, now a video of her talking and hearing her voice, her cadence, her yeah, wow. accent, the way that she expresses herself. The emotion. It's just so different mm. to, you know, um, here's the bio yeah. on a piece of paper. Um, it's, it's really about, I think it actually goes back to the storytelling days sitting around a campfire, you know, like hundreds, thousands of years ago. So. And they've often said, you know, what radios did when TV came in, mm. and it hasn't happened because there's a beauty about audio and radio, and I, I completely agree. Mm. And also you can be really distracted doing it. You can't be distracted watching the news as easily as you can be when you're just driving in the car, you know. I, yeah. I'm a, a huge podcast and, and radio listener when I'm... I have the time yeah. <laughs> with the kids. But, um, yeah, I just love it for that reason, which is why I think radio will always be my first love. And, I, you know, I'm sure I'll probably go back to it. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, maybe you can do a podcast at some point. <laughs> <laughs> it has been suggested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. So um, just I'm really curious about television and things. Sure. Did you do lots of, um, like, live crossovers to reporting on stories or was it more, you know, pieces pulled together and then presented or yeah. bit of both so we um i'm a, a general news reporter um so we write our own stories so we go out and we find the, the talent we call it all the people yeah. um you know and we work with a cameraman who get beautiful pictures and you know and then you come back and you look at the pictures and you think oh well how am i going to write the story that does justice to the pictures and to the people that we've spoken to and then yeah when that story's written you'll do live crosses as well so a bit of everything some stories lend themselves more to um, formulated scripted pieces some stories are live like the earthquakes we were live for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours um, over that period just telling people what we were seeing hearing the news they needed to know like the media um, you know they play a real key role especially in those um, environments and I had the privilege of being TVNZ's Europe correspondent so from 2017 to 2019 um, and so my family and I moved to London and so I got to then work for television New Zealand over there which is the busiest I've ever been um, but the most exciting stories because there's those stories are then on such an international stage and, right. and in such a different environment and the people you you meet and speak to again are just a completely different world um, so yeah I think journalism and storytelling is is amazing for the fact that you just get to meet so many incredible people that your normal walk of life would not get you mm. in touch with. And I just think that is the utter privilege and honour of, of my job that I get to do and probably why I'm still doing it 20 years on. Aren't we supposed to have three or four careers in a lifetime and I'm still on my first? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you can reinvent within a career, <laughs> yes, right? Yeah, like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. It's a, I think storytelling is, yeah, it's... Uh, I don't want to put too high a bar on it, but art, you know, like when you think of great artists, what they're doing, like painting yeah. or any any form of art, that's a form of storytelling as well. And if you can capture somebody's life or their stories, it just, yeah, it, it's like a, a beautiful gift to the listener or the or the viewer. And then I guess the question, well, yeah, this is a good question. What's the what's the flow on from that you know like by hearing somebody's story is that going to cause them to do something a little bit differently or um you know how is that going to impact the people who actually watch or listen and it depends i guess what type of storytelling you're in um as i say i work in news so there's a bit of a public service element to yeah. it um and you know there's a strong ethos that you know our jobs are to kind of tell the stories for those who can't tell their own and 
it just depends, I guess, what phase of life you're in. COVID's changed the um, um, platform slightly in the sense that there's so much COVID information that needs to be broadcast every night. There's perhaps not the same space for some of the other stories that mm. would traditionally fill a news bulletin. But yeah, there's a time and a place for, for every season. Yeah. And when you're in Europe sort of covering events or, you know, going to things with people, yeah, just what was that like, I guess? Because it gives you a unique opportunity to get close to celebrities or close to politicians or, yeah, how was that? Um, I'm almost speechless with that question because I, I don't even feel like I can do it justice. It was just incredible. So, you know, I remember sitting in the Elysee Palace in France and Emmanuel Macron and Jacinda Ardern were having a press conference and I looked up and there is like a chandelier, which I swear is as probably three or four times older than our country, <laughs> you know, and you start having these moments and you're thinking where am I and what am I doing? Like, I'm getting to ask a question of Angela Merkel, you know, one of the great female pioneer leaders of, of Europe. And just you start thinking, how did I get here? <laughs> and and so it was just a real privilege, um, I guess, to be able to be in, the, in some of the rooms we got to be in too. I mean, from an observation point of view, I was in a press conference with um, Theresa May and Donald Trump and you know, whatever people's views are on, on Mr. Trump. Um, it was a fascinating press conference to be in to see how they deal with their media and um, or their country's media, I should say, and just the way they interact. Like, it was just to be in the room and to watch the interactions in these places. I mean, I had meetings in Buckingham Palace um, and I had to try and act professional while not trying to look at all the paintings on the wall <laughs> and be like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. Um, but I think as well, what I found um, incredible about that job is we covered a lot of the centenary events for World War One, and just learning just the impact that the Kiwis had in, in the, on the world stage and just the gratefulness of these communities in places that we'd never heard of, really. Um, and then interviewing some veterans and and just, again, feeling how privileged I am to be speaking to this 96-year-old who fought for our freedoms. And, yeah, as much as it was wonderful interviewing Cher and Michael Caine and those sorts of utter celebrities, I think that the interviews that stay with me the longest are the ones of the, the World War One or World War Two veterans, sorry. There's no World War One <laughs> left. But just hearing that impact and just seeing the difference those decisions that they made have on our world today and mm. um yeah it was just it was amazing the places we got to go the people we got to speak to um you know we were tear guest in france twice <laughs> which wasn't overly pleasant but um you know equally we were able to go to these palaces and and you know the reichstag and in in places and just think you can't go here as a member of the public, but what yeah. a privilege to be following our Prime Minister. Yeah, yeah you'd <laughs> and be sitting tempted these to be taking selfies everywhere you're going. Yeah. Right? Well, you know, there were a few <laughs> selfies that did get taken. Yeah. But no. Oh, that's great. Well, I'd love to turn the conversation now sure. um, to talk about this initiative that you are involved in. Do you mind telling us about it and sort of the origin story and, and how did it begin? Yeah, sure. So I run One Mother to Another, which is a charity that supports and um, encourages mothers, well, parents, I should say, and caregivers, but primarily mothers, because that is stereotypically the person who is usually the the parent who is in hospital with a child, a sick child. Um, and this is 
uh, a bit of a baby for me. Um, and I guess I say my other hat because I consider it just as big a role in my world, probably more so at the moment than my journalism hat that I have, you know, invested two decades of time and education into. Um, but one mother to another essentially started. Uh, five and a half years ago Um, and it was just a girlfriend and I started it together Um, Christina Buckland she's from Rolleston as well Um, and she had had a really horrible experience with her 18 month old a really scary experience where um, she'd gone to the GP and the GP had said look you need to go straight to hospital we need to get some more tests done and it was a really difficult day you know as a mother watching your child um, undergo all sorts of invasive procedures is a really difficult Um, thing to do and so she off her own bat decided to take a couple of gift bags into the hospital ward a couple of days later to say thanks and say hey look if you see another mother who's um, falling apart give them one of these just you know and um, she told me about it and I thought what a fabulous idea and I think the reason it resonated with me was that I had just a couple of years earlier been in hospital with my firstborn Jonathan so he is now eight um, and in full health which is wonderful Mm. but we had a very traumatic birth and he um almost didn't make it and so was whipped off to the neonatal intensive care unit where he was given fabulous medical care and I can you know attribute his health today to the incredible medical care that he received but I just was blindsided by that I had these ideas of what my beginning of motherhood would look like I thought you know you'd be holding your baby you'd be breastfeeding you'd be doing this I didn't envisage that I wouldn't meet my son until you know he was 10 hours old I didn't think that I wouldn't get to hold him for several days and I didn't envisage just the toll that that would take on me when everyone else takes their babies home and you know I'm having to go into the neonatal unit Mm. to see them and you don't you know um and so when Christina told me about what she'd done I thought oh my gosh you're onto something. What a great idea. So then we very quickly decided that we'd try and do some more. And um, I suggested, well, what about we try and hit up some local businesses? We might better get some sponsorship because our husbands were not that keen on our credit card bills that were coming through because we were trying to <laughs> sell them. Came out. We should have taken shares and came out. Yeah. Uh, out and came out. Um, and so there, the two of us very quickly, you know, managed to. And I, at the time, I was going through quite a, um, a difficult journey at home. My husband was very ill, and I think I just and, and I had a young child, and I just I was so I was kind of sick of thinking about my own problems, and I just thinking about doing something for someone else just gave me a little bit more purpose mm. and just helped pick me up. And I know that there's science behind doing kind things for others actually does help your mental health, and I'm. And that wasn't the reason why we started doing it, but it was a huge secondary impact, I guess. And it just gave me something to focus on because I was on maternity leave at the time. And Christina and I had a great time doing it. It was wonderful doing it with your friend and um, just the excitement. And so, you know, by the end of that year, we were we were giving 50 gift bags away a month. And um, we were then supporting the neonatal intensive care ward too because that was where my story was. So we were both supporting the wards that we had had personal experience in. Um, and then it just sort of kept going and, and you kept growing a little bit and um, Christina did a wonderful job of running it when I was in um, London uh, and my husband supported her but she really, you know, he did a lot of the stuff from what he could from, um, he was in London with me, but just to clarify, some people think I, I left my husband and children behind but no, <laughs> they did come with me um, And but Christina was on the ground and doing most of it um, mm. 
99%. And yeah, and then we came back and, you know, the two of us continued on and then she's moved on to other exciting projects now. So my husband and I started late last, or middle of last year, we took over um, the running of it. And um, it's just, it's going from strength to strength in in terms of what we do. So we have now expanded this year uh, to to support more wards. Um, We now support seven wards in four South Island hospitals and one community group. And these have come out um, of personal experience most of the time. So I had a third child this year, um, Annabelle, and they all tell you that your third child's the easy one that fits in with the family. Well, uh, in my case, that hasn't happened. (laughs) Um, I had another unexpected neonatal intensive care stay um, with her when she was born. but this time I didn't find it quite as overwhelming um, because I guess I'd experienced it before. But what it did show me was I was able to, when I was there and sitting in there with my child, I saw our gift bags being given out to people. And it gave me some fly-on-the-wall experiences that really has propelled me um, forward about l- we need to grow one mother to another and make because this is making a real difference in people's lives. Like I saw it given to people. I saw mothers crying as they read our personal handwritten notes of encouragement I saw I heard them ask questions you know why would someone do this this is the nicest thing I saw the loneliness and I saw the difference that our gift bags made in that moment Mm. Um, you know and it certainly wasn't appropriate for me to go tap them on the shoulder and go oh that was for me (laughs) (laughs) but it was just an amazing experience and then Annabelle had quite um, a few health challenges in the months that followed and so we were in and out of the pediatric wards a lot Um, you know she had to have a feeding nasal gastric feeding tube in and I again during COVID times I experienced the loneliness the isolation the vulnerability I couldn't see my older children because we were you know in COVID times and um and just how difficult that was and I, I remember having midnight conversations with with other mums in the ward and thinking we need to support the mums in this ward because mm. this sucks being in here too um and again it's not the medical team that they we you your, your child is taken care of beautifully by the incredible amazing staff but it's just a really difficult season when you're having a sick kid so this year we've expanded into the pediatric wards we've now um uh, expanded into some of the neonatal wards in Nelson and in Vicargill. Um, and we support the Mothers and Babies Unit in Princess Margaret, recognising just how difficult that season is if someone's going through some, some very severe mental health journeys, often unexpected. Um, and also some of the perinatal wellbeing, because we recognise it's really important to support you know, to work together with other organisations that are doing such wonderful work in our community and, and how can we help them support their um, mama and wahine and um, it's yeah it's been amazing this year really to kind of see one mother to another just keep growing and keep growing and the, the feedback we get uh, you know and I'm hoping that our expansions no longer require personal experience from from me because I would um, you know that's how it kind of happened so far I feel like I've done my dash all three of my kids have spent time in hospital and um, but it's just it's it's become a a passion project for me because I know personally how difficult that is and I keep mm. getting reminded of how difficult it is and then I see the impact that it has. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And and that's why I wanted to interview because I could tell, because uh, I think we met at the Christchurch Foundation, there was um, an event there and there was a video and we can actually put links in the show notes so people are listening if they want to, they can click through and find other resources in your website and things. But it really came through this that it was a personal story. And, and I think those are the ones that have the greatest impact initiatives where it started because you went through it, you know, like you've seen the impact that this 
can have. Um, the one thing I wanted to pick up on, and you kind of mentioned it quite quickly there, was the handwritten notes. Sure. Can you just describe that a little bit more? Because to me, that's that really sets this initiative apart from just, you know, not just, but rather than um, it being about here's one little thing or something, it's actually there's some there's some care and attention to detail that goes on there isn't there? Can you describe that a little bit? Yeah, so sure. We we provide a gift bag, really, to um, 3,500 people a year. But it's not just a gift bag. For us, it's a gift bag that is full of love. And how can you convey love without giving someone a hug? So that's kind of our, our question. How can we convey care and tell a mother that they're seen, that they're heard, um, that we recognize the season that they're in and we want to acknowledge the difficulty of it because a simple hand cream in a magazine, that's that's not what it is. That is part of what it is, but in essence, we believe that um, our message is best conveyed through our note. So in the gift bags, we have a whole bunch of beautiful products. Um, you know, you know, there's snacks and there's a magazine to read and there's chocolate and then there's usually a lovely hand cream and lip balm and sometimes a, a beautiful set of earrings or something. So there's lovely items, but every pack also has a personal handwritten gift, uh, a note, sorry. And it's non-negotiable. We've tried, um, you know, we tried photocopying them a few times and even the best printer cannot convey the essence of someone who has taken time to write a note by hand. I'm not sure when the last time you received a handwritten card or something, but it really it speaks volume that someone has taken the time to write to you and say, hey, look, we see you. We know this is a really difficult situation. You probably didn't expect to be in here, but we just want to encourage you to keep going. You're in the best place. Um, and so we have a team of about 60 volunteers who help us write, you know, about a thousand notepad um notes every couple of months mm. um, and and we also try and if we can put some kind of hand um, knitted item in as well so it might just be a little heart or something like that because again I'm not sure about you but if someone's knitted something and taken the time to do that the, that just it speaks to my heart that it conveys that message of care in a way that you know same way a hug would but I can't get in there and hug every mother in that situation so this is hopefully gives them a, a, a bit of a feeling of someone is, is just thinking of them in that moment. Yeah, it's really, it's the personal touch there yeah. that, that elevates it, I think. Cause and it's, that's really important for us that that is always felt and always seen. And we're just about to launch um, in January. We just, we've just designed a special gratitude journal that's mm -hmm. going to be going in the gift bags too, um, recognizing the role that gratitude and, and helping people just giving them an avenue to perhaps have a moment where they could think outside their situation of that day, you know, the role that that plays in their ongoing mental health journey going forward and just sort of empowering people just to have a few more extra tools in that toolbox, which is pretty darn depleted when you're in hospital with your kid. So just trying to sort of think what we can do to put things in our gift bag that are really luxurious and and, and special, but also something that's going to have an effect longer than a chocolate bar that'll get eaten today. You know, what's going to sit on their fridge you know, and remind them that they're a fabulous mother and that they did exactly and are doing the best they possibly can. Mm. Um, and as, as I keep saying mother, but I, I, I we do provide f gift bags for, for fathers, recognising that, you know, there are often dads that are in there. Um, you know, they might be solo dads or they might, you know, they might be the, the stay-at-home parent and also um, caregivers and, and foster parents and uncles and grandparents. You know, there's a lot of different type of family dynamics that come through the wards that we support. So we try and have gift bags that cater for all of them. But as I say, primarily it is a mother figure. So yeah. they're usually female. Um, 
Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And can you tell the story about the person who's now volunteering? Um, sure. Yeah. So um, we have an incredible team of volunteers. In fact, just to put it in perspective, last month we had 370 volunteer hours went into the organisation from about 80 different people. So that could be just half an hour a month writing gift bag, um, writing notes, or it could be... <laughs> it could be me <laughs> doing my 25 hours a week. Um, so, you know, if you collaborate that. But anecdotally, probably about a third to a half of those who are contributing to one mother to another in volunteer capacity have been part of our journey in some capacity. They have uh, either received one of our gift bags or they have had a daughter receive that or a best friend receive one. And so they have seen the impact that those gift bags have had and now they're wanting to get involved to help others. And that's the only reason we can really grow our organisation is because we have more and more people coming and wanting to be part of what we do. And I see One Mother to Another as an organisation that not just supports mothers and carers uh, in hospital with their child, but also as an organisation that allows people to be able to serve their community so we welcome involvement from volunteers in whatever capacity someone can have because it's really empowering for someone to help their community and also we recognize that you know we had a lady come volunteered the other day and she received one of our gift bags four years ago and you know she hadn't volunteered or even been in touch with us for the last four years but she still has the note that was written and she says she keeps it in a cookbook um, so that she, she sees it. And, um, you know, to me that was really special that it was still the feeling she got from a gift bag she was given four years ago is still making a difference four years on that she then now wanted to spend her Wednesday morning packing gift bags for someone else. Mm. And so that shows me the value in what we do. But also it's a really, for me personally, I've found it really healing for me to be able to turn what is a really difficult and negative personal experience into something positive. So I've... You know, all of the trauma and, and that I remember, and you do still remember it with Jonathan and with Annabelle being in hospital, and it was horrific. I'm not trying to take away from the difficulty of that season, but I've been able to, to do a chapter two mm. and be like, no, I'm going to turn that negative experience into something that's going to help others in that same situation. So I've been able to write a different end to my story, and I feel like one mother to another enables other people to do that too you can have gone through years and, and months of difficulty in hospital with your child but when you're at a capacity where you feel that you're ready you can also have a chapter two you can come and then be part of one mother to another and help others in that situation because the empathy and understanding someone can provide who has truly understood and been in that situation far exceeds that of someone who's never experienced it mm. and so I just love that one mother to another is is almost organically becoming bigger than just a gift bag it's becoming a community and a community that's able to help our community going forward. And and there are so many more people out there that need our support and love. And until everybody is, is, is feeling supported in that hospital environment, then our job is not finished. Yeah, well, that's why I wanted to chat with you, because I could tell that there were some really good things going on. <laughs> and I love the open invitation there as well. If people are interested, um, you're open to volunteers. Absolutely. There's ways that people can get involved. Yep. And, and I think it's really key, you know, that, that the notes are written in such a personal way yeah. that, that I think that's what then connects, you know, they may never meet, no. but there is that connection that comes from recognizing where the person is at, you know, acknowledging it, but calling them to, you know, it, it will change. Things will mm. get better as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And just, I think recognizing and seeing someone in a really difficult season, yeah. I think there's a lot of value in just, 
and being heard and being seen. Yeah. And, you know, if that's what our gift bay does in that moment, um, you know, and, and, and if someone else feels like they've had a, been the ability to help someone be seen and be heard and, and be acknowledged in, in a really tough time, then, then that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's great. So let's make it really clear for the listeners. <laughs> if there's people out there who want to find out more, where should they go? And then what are some of the things that they potentially could get involved with? Sure. So um, our website, www.onemothertoanother.org.nz. Mm-hmm. So that's all lowercase letters, no numerals, onemothertoanother.org.nz. It's got our contacts on. Um, it's got a whole page on there about volunteering. So you can um, go on there. But, I mean, there's so many ways. You can write notes at home. You can you can knit. Um, you know, if you've got a bit of muscle behind you, you can come and help us um, pack gift bags. And, and um, you know, you don't have to be much, uh, too strong to do that. You can, you know, but, like, it's really helpful you know, sometimes we have some of the dads come along and help, and it's, it's amazing getting them to help lift the boxes. And, and we've just had uh, a couple of companies come on board to help us deliver the gift bags, Smith City and Kiwi Wood Shavings. You know, there's there's, there's a place for you to, to be involved. If, if it's a, a company thing, um, you know, you, you might have some volunteer hours that your company allows you to do. Come volunteer for us in some capacity. You might have a truck that you can help lend us. Um, financially, we, um, you know... To do what we do, it, it's it's not free. Um, so there's ways that you can financially be involved with one mother to another, which is just as important as those who you know write our notes. So there's just a lot of ways that where you are in your sphere, where you are in your journey, with your time capacity and commitment, there are so many ways. And we would welcome anybody who would like to come be part of what we do because we're excited by the difference that it's making. And it's only making a difference because there are other people who are helping us make that difference. Yeah, that's great. I wonder what it will be, you know, we'll have to do a follow-up, say, in five years. <laughs> <laughs> because what you're describing now, it, it kind of started in the South Island, started yeah. here in Christchurch, yeah. now kind of spreading out a bit. Yeah. You know, you mentioned, I think, Nelson, was it? Yeah, and, Nelson and, and, and Vicargo. And Vicargo, yeah. so you're kind of hitting South Island. I wonder, you know jumping across the water to Wellington or Auckland. Like it, there's needs there too, right? The long term <laughs> plan. And you know, I'm having conversations about, you know, would it be wanted and 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 the resounding answer I'm getting is yes, when can you come? Mm. Um but you know, there is wisdom in growing an organization at um at an achievable rate. And yeah. you know, the logistics involved needs to be um, sorted through but you know I'm hoping in five years time when we chat that we're having a discussion about tens of thousands of mm. people we're helping every year not just 3,500 because at the end of the day um, a mother who is seeing their child or a mother or a father sorry uh, or, or a carer who's seeing their child suffering and not being able to help it is an incredibly vulnerable position to be in doesn't matter if you come from uh, a a home of means or you come from a really socially deprived background it doesn't matter if you come from um, Afghanistan or if you come from New Zealand at the end of the day that feeling is exactly the same no matter your culture or your social background and we just want to kind of support someone in that moment um, and and our, our initiative crosses all those social and cultural barriers and, and, mm. and differences and, and we just want someone to feel seen and heard and that doesn't matter if you're on the south island you still have the same need if you're in the north island right in hospital there's no different yeah. so ideally watch this space all right <laughs> well, well thank you so much for coming on the show joy i really appreciate it um taking time out and um i loved hearing about your background as well and you know that the influence of that trip that you took as a teenager 
the impact that your grandparents had in calling you to something that you may not have chosen otherwise. You know, like, we've covered a lot of ground, but then I loved hearing about this initiative and the heart that goes into it. Um, when I heard you um, on that video at the at the event and then met you, and, and I could just tell, you know, there's a lot of passion behind this of why you're doing it. So, um, yeah, what we'll do is in the show notes, we'll put some links and then people can click through and find out more. But yeah, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate your coming on the show. It's been an absolute privilege. Thank you for having me. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that interview with Joy. There was a lot of things that stood out to me, and I really learned a lot about this initiative. It's great to think that there's things like this going on, which actually provide a lift for people who are going through a hard time. If you want to find out more, then make sure to check out the website, which is linked in the show notes. And as you could tell, they are always looking for volunteers to help out as well. I would love to hear that this initiative expands beyond where it is today, and I know some of you are in the North Island or overseas, so maybe it's something that you could take on. Don't forget there's heaps of content in the back catalog, nearly 300 other interviews. Until next time!